0: Welcome to Porsche Patter with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Patter is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like-minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it.
1: Pete Stout Part 1 So, this is one of the earlier recordings. I told you guys I would tell you when it was an earlier recording. This is one of the earlier ones when I was just transcribing so it could be published in magazines and such. The interview took place about the launch of Triple Zero. Yes, they'd finished up the prototype, but they hadn't even released issue one yet. So, that kind of tells you where Pete's mindset is in this interview. At the very end of the, yeah, the very end of this part one, you'll hear Michael Allen Ross walk in and talk about pizza boxes. When he says pizza boxes, he's referring to the cardboard boxes that they send the Triple Zero magazine out in. He also refers to Rod Ida, a 356, and taking pictures in the ice and such. That um, article was actually, that they're talking about doing, was released in issue three. I thought it was pretty cool, so I kept it in for you guys. All right, here's the interview. So what is You say it triple zero, it shows up as three
2: goofy zeros.
1: I guess this is your elevator speech. You know, some people, oh, it's another Porsche magazine. Oh, it's a fancy Porsche magazine. Oh, it's...
2: It's none of those things. It's I've I built it without having a elevator speech for it. But I've come to realize what it's intended to be. I was lucky that I'd written three business plans before I wrote the one for this one. Okay. I've always... Years and years ago, I wanted to start something that had nothing to do with magazines when well, i was worried about magazines not existing and then i wanted to start a magazine in the late 2000s and had nothing to do with porsche actually it was something else entirely so it's always been on my mind to to maybe start something and do something new and boy my first business plan was terrible and my second one probably wasn't very good and my third one was probably just okay and then my fourth one which is this one i finally knew how to build a business plan and i encourage anyone to start writing their own business plans, even if they don't know what they're doing, they think. I was an English major writing a business plan. I had no idea what I was doing, but it's good to do that because you eventually will get good at it. And I wrote a business plan for this, and it was submitted to CEO of a massive company. And his take was, "Wow, I I, I don't recall seeing something this honest as a business plan. I see business plans all." He's also in venture capital, so I can't remember the last time I seen a business plan this honest. And um. So, you know, anyone can learn. If I can learn, if an English major can learn to write a business plan, anybody can. And certainly there is a business plan behind triple zero. But that's not where the elevator speech was, because the people who are involved in that business plan, I didn't need to explain it to them. They came to me and said, we want you, what do you want to do? Which is a crazy thing to have a chance at. I couldn't say no. But as time has gone on, and I've tried to explain what triple zeros to people who aren't close to the project. I was having dinner in San Francisco with my wife recently and the head chef came out because our server had told him she had engaged us in some conversation. We had mentioned we just started a company and she wanted to know more. And turned out her dad was an artist, a painter in the mission district and he had a Porsche at some point. And a little while later she comes over and she says, could the head chef come over? And he would like to meet you. It would it be not too intrusive? Of course, you know, it's fine. He came over and he's a Porsche now and he was trying to, I was trying to explain to him, I said, in that moment, I hit. So the elevator speech is simple. It's an art criticism project with Porsche as its subject. And I think that Porsche is a worthy subject. And that's what Triple Zero is. It's intended to be an art criticism piece. It's intended to be something that is an escape from all this constant time-sensitive media, all this news, the barrage our time all the time it's something that comes four times a year instead of six or 12 or whatever or every day um it is expensive because it's expensive to produce but my feeling is that time is our most valuable resource now people consume cheap media and say why would i pay for that over there but they don't realize they are paying for what we are paying for what we consume when i'm on instagram i'm allotting those minutes to that, and I could be allotting them to something else. And so there's the money I spend, and there is some cost of Instagram. I mean, there's my cell phone bill at the end of the month. There's how much I paid for this device, whatever. People don't think of that stuff, but that's there for sure. It's built into the cost of those things. But there's another cost, and the cost is time, our time of consumption. It's the one thing you know we can't go earn more of. But we can spend it well. And so triple zero is an attempt to help people who are interested in what we're interested in learn about these things and maybe see them in a new light, more in-depth light. A goal for our features that we didn't even have when we started, but has come about is you look at those 914 stories, you look at the 911R piece, you look at some of the I started to look at these layouts that Justin Page, our designer, was doing. And I was realizing he doesn't come from car as a designer. I was looking through these and thinking, man, some of these articles are 50 pages long. For one car, it's a 50-page piece. And you know what? I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think I'm seeing the car better than if I saw it at a, at a Concord. I'm seeing it better here on the page. And the reason is, is that it's helping me see things. You know, the 9148 story, I've looked at PX 9148 at Amelia Island Museum, different places. I can show you a picture here where I didn't know this existed on page, page 134, if you want to reference it later. I, I've, been, I've been around this car at the museum and it shows. I never knew it had this weird, rough, and not very well done frame around the window. Well, 914 has that this car is all there's nothing on the car that's really very much like a 914 at all actually just it sort of looks like one but that frame I never noticed that. I saw the car the. Yeah. I saw the car at the museum. I never noticed this and then you know I never really spent too much time on the two screws. It's supposed to have one. so you know you start to see this and you say this is an extremely educated so that's what we're going for approach it's a different approach entirely it's not a magazine it's not a book we call it a magazine because i i I just i like the term magazine and it arrives in in the basic form it's a soft cover thing i view this as a magazine it's not a book because it's a periodical it comes regularly but people are going to call it what they want to call it we call it a magazine but it's something else and so triple zero is meant as art criticism the rest is for someone else to discover. and They can decide what triple zero is. It's about discovery.
1: <laughs> what attracted you to Porsche? The first Porsche that
2: made me realize Porsche was special wasn't a Porsche. It was my best friend growing up. We used to play Hot Wheels, and he had a tummy pocket car of a silver 930. We shared everything, but he would never let me play with that 930. So that's when I first realized Porsche was special. The next dinner, I was really a car guy first. I just like cars, trucks, cars. Basically, I'm a transportation junkie. If it moves, I'm interested. Um, but the next Porsche to, and the car that brought me into Porsche, uh, my brother, my older brother got a 1973 914 in high school. It was pretty beat up, uh, pretty faded. It was a good, honest car, a solid bones, but it was tired and had been driven a lot. Um, in hindsight, it was a good one, but at the time it just seemed like another used 914 and well used. When he left for college, he left it behind and got into motorcycles and I got stuck with it. I didn't even really want it. Um, and I wanted to hot rod a, a rabbit, actually. I was more interested in GTIs than, than, than yeah. 914s. And, but that's the car I got. I got what was available and, yeah. um, I started working on it, but that car taught me. Uh, what good steering feels like. It taught me what balance is, taught me about minimalist design, and it taught me about momentum.
1: What do you like about working with Porsche? I got into the work
2: for the cars. And it's been said before, but it really is about the people. I enjoy the cars immensely. And and that's what got me into into this line of work. But as time has gone on, what, what fascinates me with this vocation, with this line of work has been the type of people that these cars draw, the designers, the engineers, the creative thinkers, um, people in business, whatever it is these cars have a, a fundamental honesty to them and a minimalist approach to them. The form follows the function and it draws a certain kind of person, the relationships, the conversations that have happened over the years. That's probably the most enjoyable and, and rewarding thing of the last
1: 18 years. So how long have you been in the Porsche business, I guess?
2: I wrote my first article that was published in 1994 for Excellence Magazine. It was published while I was in college. I think I was a sophomore or a junior in college. It was part of a creative writing class, and I must have reread that story 35 times because I was terrified of typos. And that it would be rejected because there was a misplaced period. I didn't know very much about the business. So I guess 94 to 2016 is uh, about 22
1: years. I guess I'm seeing redundancy. Why did you get involved? I guess it was a project you were doing. In
2: right. I, I, a guy came and spoke at my college named Wentley Phipps. It's spelled P-H-I-P-P-S, Wentley Phipps. Gospel singer from the South, incredible uh, orator a speaker. He came and spoke about dreams at my college and you could hear a pin drop in the place. He just overwhelmed every student in that place. And it got me thinking about what were my dreams and what was I interested in? What was I made to do? And what was a path? And a lot of things were in my mind going on at that time, thinking about, you know, what is the future and what is valuable? And I had kind of put cars out of my life went cold turkey so that I would concentrate on college because I wasn't a great student up to that point. So cars were kind of out, and I had some social questions about the validity of cars, and uh, I am from a town near Berkeley. And so I struggled with that a little bit, and I was very idealistic. And this sort of quiet thought came, and it was, you know, if you wrote about cars, you could drive everything you ever wanted to and never have to own any of them. And so that became kind of intriguing to me. Because it would allow me to uh, skip by those very idealistic and potentially valid uh, social concerns about expensive cars while still getting to enjoy being around them. And so it really attracted me to, to write about them and later photograph them and later edit magazines about them.
1: What do you like about your job?
2: I like, I like enabling others to, to reach. That's what I like about my job. I like enabling artists to reach. Yeah.
1: How has your business changed or what you've done evolved? And do you have any regrets?
2: Let's split those into two questions. So ask me the first one first and then ask me. The how
1: second. is the business um, or what you do, how's it changed or evolved? I came into the business of,
2: of, of magazine publishing alongside the rise of the internet. The internet has absolutely changed what print media is. And I knew very early on, 97, I was hired full time, 98, 99, 2000. I started watching all of my friends be hired by the dot coms. And I thought, boy, I got to get off this dying horse. This thing's going down. And then about, around about 2001, I watched all my friends get pink slips and I thought, Ooh, maybe it's okay to stay here for a little bit. And in the end, it, I was really fortunate. I was sheltered from a lot of the print. Disaster because Porsche was such a strong subject and excellence where I was working did just fine through all of that. And so I have a lot to be thankful to Tom Toldring as the publisher there for building a good house. And it was a good company is a good company. And, and it was, um, it was a good place to be as I watched the internet unfold. As time has gone on, we've people in those days and myself included were saying the print, print is done. At some point, print isn't going to work. It's all going to be digital. And I think what we've seen is that's not the case. Um, new media isn't new anymore. Uh, digital, the digital sphere has evolved, and it keeps evolving. It is diversified. It is growing larger. You've got some wonderful things out there like Petrolicious, Renlist, uh, Ren Films. There's all these digital platforms that are really strong. Instagram has come up. So the way people interact with media has changed, but I don't see it as a replacement. I don't, I don't see it as a replacement for print. It's challenged print. If print depends on newsworthiness, then yeah. print is dead. But we're seeing that there are some people who still want to hold something in their hands.
1: Oh, I definitely want to bust out my highlighters and stuff. You
2: know, I'm 42. I'm seeing people younger who defy the idea. There are people who are buying real records now, and they're not old. Yeah, They're not older even. They're young, and they're buying real records. There are people who are younger than me by 20 years who are getting into film cameras and sometimes they're doing it to be purposely quaint. We know as technologies increase and change, they bring change and that's okay. I I was fearful of the internet and and internet media and digital media when I was young and 97 to well, 99 ish, 2001 ish. And as time has gone on, I've come to realize, no, that's really great, actually. It's another tool. It's another way to experience. You know, One of my laments on a printed page is I can never convey the sound of a carver. I can describe it, but I can't. If I do a really good job, I might convey some aspect of what that sound is to the reader. But it, I can't touch Petrolicious when it comes to conveying the sound and the motion of, 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 the, of the thing. But there are other aspects that Petrolicious... Isn't a good delivery device for you know petrolicious. You're gonna kind of tune out after probably ten or twenty minutes. Some people say much less. I don't know what the exact number is. That's not my industry. But you know print. I get into a good book and it's hours. And I think, well, that book's a bit expensive at fifteen dollars in paperback form. But hold on a second. How many hours of enjoyment did I get from that? I got a lot of enjoyment out of that book. And so these aren't replacement. This isn't an issue of replacement. Uh, media, so that's what's changed. I think there's new channels, and I welcome them because I think that they they create a, a broader picture and opportunities. And that's what Triple Zero really is doing. Is it's it's a response to how media has changed. I'm not looking for seventy five thousand readers, which is pan- what Panorama has, and which is wonderful that Panorama has that. I'm also not looking for necessarily the same readers. Not everybody who reads Panorama is going to love this. That's okay. It's another. This is another like digital media, like Instagram after the internet, or alongside it, really, this is something alongside, this is an and, not an or. And I think that's what's changed, is there's a lot more ands. And we were all fearful that it was an or, that the internet was an or, and the print was going to be an or. But really, the internet's an and, and that's what has changed. And we all consume media, and by that I mean print, digital, you name it we all consume it different ways. And what I'm finding is, and this is also something that changes as a, a, this would be a great follow-up question as you've kind of entered into the discussion. What's also changed is I feel like it's overwhelming. There are so many ands now that it becomes a bit overwhelming for us and it becomes overload. And I go through a lot of platforms and I don't think our minds were designed to work with this many inputs. You know, I think about Facebook, LinkedIn, Messenger, uh, email, text, phone. There's a lot of inputs, forums, private messages. There's all these inputs. I don't think that's how humans were fundamentally. I mean, if you think 2000, 4000, 6000 years back, phone didn't even exist. It was personal interaction, maybe letters of some kind. And so, really, a lot has changed in the last 20 years because of the internet and the way that we communicate. And I feel like that has an effect on media. We get saturated. This is designed as an escape. And I think that's one thing where print hasn't changed. Print remains the escape that it always was. Print is turn off the phones, shut everything off. There's not a hot link that takes you to something that then distracts you and then you're gone. If print is done well, it absorbs you and you're in it and you're immersed in it. And I love nothing more than when I'm on a long flight have a great book and just enjoy consuming that book. And my phone's in airplane mode. No one can reach me. And I'm just enjoying that. It's luxurious. And there's not enough of it in today's world. I, I look at these platforms and there's so many of them. And I start to say, okay, this is amazing. And these are incredible tools. But how do you differentiate yourself in this space? And the only way to do that is to really put a lot of effort into it. And by that, I don't mean it's not difficult to post a picture, but to take a great picture takes some effort. And if you want to do enough of them that you really make a space for yourself, the triple zero is really in support of artists. And one thing I've learned over the years with Excellence in Panorama is that our storytellers are critical and they're threatened in a way they've never been threatened before. Because so much of the one thing that the digital media does do is it gives away all the content and the. The consumer almost never pays for that content. Well, someone has to pay for that content. And so you have some passion projects out there that are doing amazing work because someone is wealthy and choosing to do this. But what about when they stop choosing to do that? Also, what about all these photographers and writers who can't make any money? Eventually, what happens is they go get a real job and we lose another storyteller. And when we lose that storyteller, we all lose. And so part of triple zero is is to, this, this is in support of art. People look at the price and say, it's expensive. I know what it costs to make it. It's actually not that expensive. It's just expensive compared to what we've gotten so used to with magazines because magazines have been on a downward spiral. And how they've answered that is cheapen the subscription price, get the circulation up, and sell more ads. But we're all seeing where that's gone. Most magazines, they get thinner and thinner and thinner, and they stop paying contributors. So it's... Or pay them less. So part of triple zero is in support of these artists but we want to see... I want to see our, our storytellers make it. You know, I want to see our storytellers stick around. It's it's part of who we
1: are as humans. And you kind of want them to get their recognition because if there's anything about photography, it's, everybody thinks they're a professional photographer now. Yeah. No, that's right. I can't believe that. Like, when we went to rent... Well, I went to rent Sport four. Yeah. And five. And I said... I can, I promise you probably 50% more people had cameras at five than they did four. All of a sudden, everybody was like, no one was even looking at the cars. I think four was, I enjoyed four more than five.
2: There were things about five I really enjoyed, but four had, Transport. four had a, um, it felt like a living room. had paddock felt like a living room for everyone. And it It was just the right spot of, it was a lot of people, 30,000 people, but it was, it it felt homey and it felt warm and it felt relational. Five was twice the people almost. It was less personal by a lot. It was weird because I had more relationships that were deeper by four years or more um, than they had been before. But it was so overwhelming, it was hard to engage. I met with a lot of people who came out of it afterwards saying, it was incredible, but I felt like I saw nothing. I felt like I didn't, I couldn't capture it. And your input is very interesting with regards to everybody taking photos. There's a study that was done many, many years ago that demonstrates, that indicated that we as humans, if we photograph a thing, um, if we have photos of an event, we don't remember the event as well anymore. If we have no photos at all, we actually remember
1: more of the total event. So
2: it's an interesting point you raise about Rensport 5 with every one of on the
1: cameras. My wife was about, she was pregnant. She was about to have her kid and our kid. <laughs> and then uh, I remember that last day, everybody would kind of gone home and we were the last ones. They were up on the hill, like where the main stand is yep. up on that hill over there where the people park the RV. We were over on that and the sun was setting. And like, I still just like get warm thinking about that because it was just like, I knew instantly. Sometimes you think back on it. I knew instantly. I'm like, this is going to be like one of the highlights of my life. That's a cool space. Because all the, all, you know, there was all That's that, four all, or five? Four. Four. And all the people, like all the important poorest people were still kind of, were packing up. And you could see, it's weird that the, like famous poorest people are like doing labor and they're packing up and yeah. the sun's going down and they're kind of detuning the cars. Yes. And it was just yeah. awesome.
2: Yeah, no, four was. I got to drive at four. I was a, in an RSR that weekend. Um, a friend, I'd written an article about it previously for Excellence. And. The guy called up the owner and said, Hey, who should be in the car for this weekend? And what do you think about Donahue? And what do you think about Long? And what do you think about Nirop? And what do you think about so and so and so and so? I was honored that he even wanted to hear what I thought. And then he said, Hey, that RSR needs a driver. How about it? I said, Well, Jim, you know, I, I, I've already written about the car. I can't write about it again. He's like, I don't care if you can't write about it. He's like, It needs to be driven. He's like, Would you like to drive it? I thought, Yeah, I'd like to drive it. And so I ended up going out uh, in that car again after a few years. It had been dry docked basically for the time. I actually went out I drove it out of the paddock at Laguna Seca on the exact same tires I had driven it into the paddock on after the Monterey Historic's four years. I think it was four years earlier, three or four years earlier. So the car had been, it's a collector car. It's a museum car. What was it? It was a 74 RSR, the Photoquella. Uh, okay. The green, blue, gray car. Um, if you do photoquella, it's F O T O photoquella R S R excellence. You can bring up the article to be involved in. So as you were having your moment, I was in the paddock. I I rode the ATV over to go to the bathroom, and I was coming back across, and here's Chuck Forge packing up his 356 um, SL, which has now just been restored by Rod Emery. That's the the car that was at Pebble Beach. But back then, it was still in the form I probably personally preferred. It was this red roadster that Chuck Forge raced. John von Neumann brought you know, brought it over and turned it into this open top racer. It was all over the West Coast, famous car after its Le Mans history, which it's now been returned to. And here was Chuck Forge who owned it for decades. And he was putting it on like a fifteen dollar trailer. He was putting on this just this beat down open wheel open trailer. And, you know, the car even then was worth, even an 11 was worth a tremendous amount of money and beautifully turned out. It was being loaded on this very, very rudimentary trailer. And um, I said, hey, you know, would you show me your car? And he took 20 minutes with me and showed me his car. And it was super special. It was such a special moment. Well, you were having your moment. That's the moment I was having. And I'll never forget in my life. That was an incredible moment. Is that your incredibly yeah. ostentatious card sign? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Bracken, Michael. Yeah. Michael yeah, Bracken, Michael. Michael Bracken. Michael. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My pizza wagon. Your pizza wagon. I need pizza boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how many? Um. have ten. Yes. Eight. One, two, three, four, five. Six. Seven. Bracken will be done. It's five. Yeah. Seven, eight. Awesome. that work? Um, I just got off the phone with Ida, and he's getting dates. Yeah. But I may be able to go out there and shoot him ice racing at the 356. Yes, please. Be even better if we can get ice and dirt, but I'll take it. If we got one good photo of him on the dirt, I'm cool with it. Can you get him to take it off the thing and go go get some go get a sandwich with it? See if you can get, go for sandwiches, too. The more industrial, the better. Like the more. And he just started building a it 60, sorry, four, yeah. It's piece stripped down as a race car. Yeah. It's stripped down. All the weight has been melted out of it. So you see all the damage that curve in there. He says, he says, there's another cost. Yeah. we're going to talk about that shoot because then we're going to make it an art project for you sorry for the interruption yeah no worries, worries. No worries. All, right. all right all right sir nice meeting you have a good weekend you said I'll see you before yeah <laughs> sorry
0: about that thanks for joining us for today's episode if you enjoyed the show please subscribe comment like and share with your friends feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 64. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.